Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. I want to take a moment to really shout out and say thank you to our most important sponsor, MatrixFitness.com. Uh, Greg Lawler agreed numerous years ago now to support this podcast and to make it what it is today. And he is representative of a corporate culture at Matrix Fitness that is really all about serving the customer and making sure you get what it is you need to do the things you need to do, whether that's serving uh, an entire organization or team or a single individual, building a performance facility, uh, taking care of yourself and your own home fitness needs. MatrixFitness.com does it all, and they are a global company worldwide. You can get any solution you need for your um, product needs, as well as consulting on building your own facility or a facility for your organization. So I can't recommend them enough. I appreciate everything they've done for Leave Your Mark. And I want this community to support what is our greatest sponsor, MatrixFitness.com. Head over to their site today and see what it is that they have and how they might be able to solve any problem you might have. Those of you who are longtime listeners might have recognized that I started uh, the Leave Your Mic Life Lab not too long ago. We're now almost three months into our program, doing some really great work with some great people in the industry. This is really, if you're in the human performance industry and you're looking for support, uh, counsel, mentorship, and direction in your career and life and living the best life possible... Uh, avoiding burnout and enjoying the work that you do. That This lab is uh, designed for you. Uh, I am doing my best to steward a great group of people. And if you want to know more about the program, we will be opening another cohort in the not-too-distant future. So head over to lymlab.com today. Check out the podcast. You can get your latest episodes of the Leave Your Mark podcast there. You can get a free download source for a couple of uh, videos uh, that I've done on just getting started in this process and take a look on the uh, Life Lab page at what we get into in our program and how it's all set up. Would love to have uh, new people involved. Uh, the people who are in it are really loving it. and I'm loving the work too and the connection. So keep an eye out for it, check out what we're doing, check out the latest podcast, and of course, if you want an LYM cap, that's something you can get on the page as well. So head over there, get yourself an LYM cap, and uh, support the podcast. And at the very least, do me a favor and uh, you know rate it, share it, uh, connect, and even leave a comment on your favorite streaming source. Take care. My biggest sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com, is also a company near and dear to my heart. This is something I believe in, my wife Jamie believes in, we believe in our mission, which is to really change the culture and and the way we do human performance, bringing the worlds of therapy and performance together into one critically successful process that uh, really transcends uh, the narratives of both areas and cultures and brings them together in one operating system and one common language of practice. 
And the other thing that it does, it's underpinned by applied neurology and the whole neurological system is what runs our body. And we've spent some time this last two years really bringing in some of the most uh, important and latest concepts in applied neurology to the programming so that we really put the head back on the body in terms of training. And so the things we're doing are just so powerful right now. And people are talking about it. Uh, you know, people who are doing the programming are just recognizing how it's changing their practice. And we're hoping that more of you will join us, will join the reconditioning revolution. We now have our R1 foundations and R2 designs completely online. You can uh, digest all the information at your leisure. And then we have eight-week labs once a week for an hour uh, over an eight-week period. We rotate through these throughout the year. So our next R1 foundations is this September. We are starting in R2 designs very soon. We would love to have people involved with what we're doing. And we also are doing special live event sessions. Uh, We have an R1 Foundations live event that is going to be kicking up in September as well. We also have our R3 Collab, which is a special live event where we bring together everything we do in R1 and R2, along with more applied neurology around how the cerebellum cortex and brainstem affect movement and function. And so all of that comes together in an outstanding course, and we have one this September 24-25 in Montreal. Would love to have people there if you've gone through our program R1 and R2. Want to get more and more people doing this because it's changing the way people support uh, athletic and human performance in general. So would love to help you be the best practitioner possible. If you're interested, head over to reconditioninghq.com today and check out what we're doing and check out our next offerings. Take care. Now that we've taken care of those that take care of us, on to the podcast. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today I have a series of amazing guests, inclusive of my lovely wife, Jamie Livingston, or Jamie Sikaski, as the Quebecers would like me to call her. Helen Upperton, who is a former amazing athlete for Canada in the bobsleigh and silver medal winner, and now a firefighter uh, and a mom. And uh, Jennifer Heil, who is uh, and also a gold and silver medalist in mogul skiing and is a mom and just finished doing her MBA. Jen is a little bit late for our conversation. She'll be coming in because her nephew is being drafted to the NHL today, or hopefully drafted. We we hope it happens for him. Um, so she's very excited and having a hard time concentrating on anything else. So we'll drop her in a little bit later in the conversation. Today's conversation is, um, I wanted to bring these three ladies because I have a deep respect for all of them and all, and, and the way they've deported themselves as moms, but also professionally. And all of them um, call it suffered or dealt with um, this this concept of postpartum depression and, and struggled with the early stages of motherhood. And they all went through it. And so I thought there would be great value in having a, a conversation, a performance conversation, so to speak, and, and leave your mark with these ladies about this and kind of open up the conversation about this because it's it tends to be something that people don't talk a lot about or they just kind of deal with. And so I thought their perspective would be really valuable for people who 
are out there maybe just you know just uh, a woman who's just had a baby and even sometimes for guys who are struggling with some of these thoughts afterwards when they've had a kid because it's not always what we think it's going to be so welcome jamie welcome helen and in future welcome jen thanks for having us yeah so i'm going to start um sort of you know, uh, in the beginning, so to speak. So um, each of you has had children and uh, they're all growing fantastically now at different stages in their lives. I think the one with the oldest kid is Jamie right now. Everybody else's are still a little bit younger. Um, And I'll start with going to Helen first and then I'll come back to Jamie. But, you know, what were your expectations, Helen, before you had a kid about what it was going to be like to be a mom? What were you thinking it was going to be like? It's actually kind of hard to remember. <laughs> I don't actually think I had a lot of expectations and I think I consciously tried to not because how mm. could you possibly know what to expect? I mean, you have this idea that it's going to be challenging and all moms say like, Oh, it's the hardest, but most re-. that's such a catchphrase, right? Like, Oh, it's the hardest and most rewarding job you're ever going to do. But I don't think you really know. And I think, I think I chose to kind of accept that and just, see I knew I wanted to be a mom and we were really excited about it and of course it turns out it's harder than you think it's gonna, mm. it's gonna be. <laughs> Jamie you can do you have other thoughts on that or did you have expectations um I think we all have expectations because we're we live in a society that has cultural norms mm. and I think you're you know, you don't, you don't question them because they're so pervasive. And I think that for me, that's what that was. And, you know, you and I were deciding to have children and at one point we weren't, and then we were, and then it was like, oh, it's so exciting. And you get swept up in the idea of it all. Um, and what that's potentially going to mean. I mean, to Helen's point, you know, I knew, you know, maybe I'm going to be a strict mom or I'm going to be this, you know, you, but you don't, or I didn't, really interconnect it all together to really understand the breadth of what it was going to take to be a mom. Agreed. And so I think it, and it's, it was very much even the same in being pregnant. And I, you know, it was like going to your, I don't know what you call them, pre-birth classes or Lamaze classes or whatever it is, but they trained you all to worry about the labor and mm really seemingly didn't feel like anything once the baby came. So I feel that that was very much my excitement about having a baby was like, it was all the wonderful things that were going to happen as a baby, but nothing prepared me for the things that are less wonderful about having a baby. I actually think that's like a really important point, Jamie, because there, you know, nobody really talks about how hard breastfeeding is or if you're even going to breastfeed and post this whole idea of postpartum um, anxiety and depression, what the signs are and stuff. I think that isn't really something, maybe moving forward now they're starting to do that more, but yeah, I think that that's true. It's all about like the labor and the delivery. And then afterwards when you really don't know what you're doing Mm-hmm. And, and Scotty, to, to your point too, I guess like there is some underlying expectation. Jamie just kind of made me think about it. Like, I have a wonderful relationship with my mom and I have a wonderful mom. And I think you kind of picture your life like that. Like, Oh, this is the stuff we're going to do with our kids. And we're going to, you know, because it's, it's correlated to your own life experiences. So I guess there is, you're carrying your history with you. So there, I guess there is an underlying kind of, like Jamie said, you don't connect the dots, but it's, it's sitting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an underlying 
uh, ideal, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was, what was your immediate, I know Jamie's and I'll get hers again to repeat, but the moment you looked at the test and you knew you were pregnant, what did, what was in your head? What did you say to yourself? I was so happy, like just, Mm -hmm. yeah, really excited. Um, when we decided to start trying, like we started to try have kids later because of sports, you know, like Jesse was still competing and I had recently retired and, um, when, you know, you're older and so you don't know how hard it's going to be and if there's any issues. So, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to try and it happened very quickly. So mm-hmm. I kind of almost felt like excitement and relief initially. There was no hesitancy at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was so not my experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny just because, um, well, we were both very late. Like I was 33 when I had Gretchen and Scotty was 44. So, um, I didn't have that worry that somehow my biological clock is ticking in that I only had so much time. I've learned later that, you know, there is a real thing about your age and, you know, your ability perhaps to conceive. Um, But that wasn't part of my thing. It was just more that we had this decision that I always knew I was going to have kids. But when we decided to finally have them and, you know, you would try for a few months. And I think Scotty and I tried, I think it was about 11 months. And so you really got into the rhythm of like, oh, okay, well, it didn't happen. I don't need to go there yet. (laughs) And so then when it happened, it was funny because, you know, Scotty was in the NHL. And so, you know, life was either on the road or at home and it was either practice day or game day. So everything was very rhythmic in season. And so when he was away, I got this information. So it was just like, oh, my God, it's happened. I don't know how I feel about this. Oh my God. I like sat on it. I had to go and try to play volleyball. I couldn't play volleyball because I was all messed up and he came home and I'm like, Oh my God, look at this. And he was like, doesn't that mean positive? I'm like, yes. And he goes, isn't this what we wanted? <laughs> yes, but it happened. <laughs> like, right. Anyway, <laughs> just, right. I forgot that I was going to have to have feelings and think about this when it happened because it was 11 months of, you know, I didn't want to get overwhelmed about it. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I liked your comment um, before Helen about um, sort of, the fact that there's not, and Jamie, you said the same thing about the, about the sort of call it Lamaze classes or the pregnancy classes. That was something I remarked as a man in the process was it didn't seem like anybody was talking about what happens the day after uh, and where, where are you going to, going to go? And I remember us having our daughter Gretchen and kind of like sitting in the hospital. And now it was kind of, you know, you, you were going to take this package home and what were you doing with it? But you were supposed to somehow know how to do it all. And, and so you're trying to figure out and scramble to figure it out. You mentioned uh, Helen, the the idea of, you know, whether you're going to breastfeed or not. And then we talked before we came on about some of these, the social media pressures around, you know, the expectations of the perfect, you know, motherhood experience and the perfect world out there. And we can unpack that as we go along, but you know, there's a lot of pressure um, on women to to breastfeed now versus not. Uh, and there's all these, you know, you get into the, you, you read the tweets and people are almost kind of quite vitriol around the whole thing. And then there's the stuff about, you know, are you going to breastfeed in public and not and all, all these things. So when you start having that you start having to do that, you know, how are you feeling about that? And is that contributing to your sense of, you know, uh, am I a good mom, you know, kind of thing? Am am I able to deliver what it is I'm supposed to be delivering, so to speak? Well, there's, 
I mean, I think this is going to be sort of the underlying theme in all of my answers. It's like a lot to unpack, but I feel like the three women you have, you're chatting with today, Jamie, Jen, and I, we're all pretty high achieving driven people. We like to do our very best and Mm. scientifically proven that breastfeeding your baby is better for them than formula. Right. Mm. And so how could you not want to do that as long as possible and to fit into these like parameters that society tells you like is the, the top of the line for motherhood. Mm. And so if you fall short, I have this like over, I had, it was breastfeeding was this one piece of like this feeling of like, I can't fail this baby. Mm. And it, it starts to begin this, this pressure that you feel as a mom to do the very best for this like little human that you're now responsible for. And so for sure, that's a piece of it. I, I was fortunate. I was able to breastfeed both of my kids and it wasn't easy. I had issues with both of them. We worked with lactation consultants and, you know, all of the things. And there were some huge challenges different with both kids. And I was working when I had Florence, we, I was doing the commentary and I was like pumping in the, in the toilet on an airplane and people like banging on the door. And you're like, I'm just trying to do, I'm just trying to do my best, you know, Mm. or like you're sitting on a plane trying to breastfeed your baby, like right next to somebody. And then it's not like, I think if you're really comfortable with it, then it's fine. But I know that there's a lot of women who aren't and, um, it's getting better. Is it where it needs to be? Probably not. But yeah, I think it's a piece that adds not a more, like it's a piece that adds pressure to motherhood for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jamie, any thoughts there? I think just everybody always has an opinion on everything (laughs) and right. And the, the problem is, is oftentimes people don't understand that their opinions are their own (laughs) and aren't necessarily what's reality for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it motherhood became something for me where it was like licensed for people to give me their opinions Mm -hmm. or licensed to judge. And so I had to be really good about being Teflon and just, okay, I heard you and I'm not going to take the tone about that, but this is what I'm going to choose to do. Um, I think I didn't even know what the word or the term lactation consultant meant until I really needed one. Mm -hmm. So that might've been helpful to know about. Um, I think as well, there's, you know, to your point, Helen, Um, sometimes people want the best to be able to breastfeed and it's just not possible. There's just things that, and thank goodness we live in an age that there are options and, you know, for somebody then to come and not understand the context or anything about what your scenario is and comment and say, Oh, you should be really breastfeeding or why did you stop? So, or whatever commentary and not know what's behind is just not needed. And I think our culture doesn't, because I know that the intentions of the people that say that are always good, but I think that's the broader conversation is people needing to understand and having a little bit more emotional intelligence. I think this is why your leave your mark is so amazing is because people are understanding emotional intelligence and how conversation is important for people because you can do real damage. Words, words matter. And so I think understanding your, societal bias or your opinions on things and how that could have an effect on others is important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think knowing going in as a new mom, it would be very helpful to know that that's something that you may be needing to deal with. Right. 
Hello, Jennifer Heil. We're just welcoming her onto the show and uh, love seeing you again, Madam. Likewise. Did uh, did the draft happen? Uh, it's happening now. We're holding our breath. So I might have to take a, a I hope I have to take a celebratory uh, FaceTime call in the middle. Just to- <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We'll, we'll jog and, and jod and move around and stuff. Jennifer's uh, nephew may be drafted today to the uh, National Hockey League, which would be really cool. Because the last time I remember seeing him, he was a little squirt in J.D. Miller's driveway playing ball hockey. So... <laughs> Jen, we're kind of um, not deep into things, but we, we kind of got past the conversation about, um, you know, what did you expect before? And, um, you know, both ladies shared that. So I don't know if there's something, if if you would like to share what, what your expectations were before you had a child, and then, and then we'll get into what people's reality check was afterwards. But do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, to be honest, I didn't really have expectations. Um, I knew I wanted a family, um, and that was it. I hadn't really thought it through beyond that. Um, I would say on one side, I felt completely ill-equipped because I hadn't heard the narratives and the stories of the challenges. Mm. It felt a little shocking how uh, much, I mean, everything changes in that moment, and I think it could have been helpful to have some wisdom uh, shared uh, and passed over. And I think, you know, it's a very uh, exciting moment when, you know, someone's pregnant and your family, but I, I didn't, I could have, I could have used a bit of a reality check and, and some preparation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I felt totally equipped once I learned how to, well, totally equipped is an overstatement. But once I start started to learn to tap into my own wisdom and mothering wisdom, um, that's where things started to shift. And I think that's what Jamie was saying. You know, there's um, so many preconceived notions, um, and you know, there's very prescriptive ways to be a mother that we've had beaten into our conscious. Um, so yeah, once I started to trust that a bit more, and and started to shift and get mm. it easier. Thank you. Well, I'm going to go back to Helen for a second. What would you, and I, I want everybody to answer this question a little bit because I think this that's the, the 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 nature of this call, this conversation is looking back. What would you what would you have liked to have known um, that you didn't know, and how can you share that with the people listening so they have the benefit of maybe your experience or or expertise, as one would call it at this point. It's a mom. So. <clears throat> I was very lucky. My sister, who's my neighbor, who I'm very close with, is a hairdresser. And so she's got all these different clients. One of her clients is a midwife and a fantastic midwife. So when I was pregnant, my sister said, are you going to use a midwife? And I was like, what is that? (laughs) And she tells me, and I was like, well, I'll go for coffee with this lady and find out. And I go for coffee with this woman. Her name was Krista. And she's just fantastic. And she like was a midwife with doctors without borders. And like, anyways, she's like, well, basically my job is to just like totally look after you and your pregnancy. And then when the baby's born, I look after the baby and I come and do house calls after. And I was like, why, why would I not do this? This makes no sense. And why isn't this a service that everybody knows about that's just provided anyway? So I was like, yes. And like at that time in Alberta, it wasn't very well funded and there's wait lists to get in, but because 
she knew us, she put me right in. And so I had a midwife from the beginning and I, it's so personal and it's all about your well-being. And they talk to me about lactation consultants because they're, they have a much more organic approach to motherhood. And they're all about like utilizing all these different providers. And I ended up needing an uh, OBGYN because I had placenta previa and I had to have a C-section. So you can do shared care. So my OBGYN had my midwife in the delivery room, even though it was surgical. And so I had a lot of education around some of those services because of the route I chose to take. And since that time, Alberta's funded midwifery um, a lot more and there's a lot more um, options, I think, for women. So I was lucky, but I would say that's one thing for sure that for when uh, when people become pregnant and are going to have families, like just to know that there's a lot of different paths you can take for support throughout your pregnancy that can provide something that fits you better. And even if you have complications, you can still have really well-rounded services. So I was really fortunate for that. Hmm. And then the piece that was missing for me is, uh, you know, we all have uh, athletes generally have this like superhero complex. And I was like, I've been to the Olympics and I've done all this stuff. I can take on motherhood, like no problem. And it turns out that it was a big problem. It was a big problem. And you hear these words like postpartum depression, anxiety, and they give you these pamphlets and you don't really read them. And then you completely lose yourself and you're a complete disaster. And at that point you are not able to recognize that you are in such a bad place. And I think just if I would have known really known like what, how likely that is to happen, what it is going to feel like. And then for me and my family to know what options we have to try to help when it does happen. Mm -hmm. So I now know because I had to utilize some resources, like Calgary has a program called Families Matters. It's a hotline you can call. They pair you with a counselor. And from that point, they send you on whatever route you need, whether it's a doctor a psychologist or whatever, to like get the support you need, including medication and whatever else. Um, But man, it was a journey to get to that point. And it got pretty it was really bad. Like it was like almost like, yeah, like um, red flags were up. Like it was an emergency situation at that point and it shouldn't have gotten that far. Hmm. Jamie, your thoughts on what you would have liked (laughs) to have known or could impart from a wisdom perspective now looking back? Yeah. I think my biggest thing that hits is really just sort of the journey I've been in the last 10 years. I would have loved to have done a lot more mindset work. Pride. I think it's great that I've figured that out in my late 30s and 40s, but to have known that because, you know, I think had I had I grew up in a in an environment, I don't know if it was just whether it's the town, my family, whatever culture where things were set out as very black and white. And it I thrived in that because, you know, things were black and white. You can make easy decisions that way. And so, but life is not black and white. And when you you know, I was always coached and then I was always had a teacher. And so I was always being led. I wasn't having to make big decisions and have options. So when things don't go as planned, I know that I was not prepared for that baby or not. So I think had I had better mental fortitude to deal, talk about difficulties and understand what difficulties were, even before you've had a baby and how to get through it. I wasn't an Olympian. So I perhaps wasn't throwing myself into scenarios that allowed me to, you know, deal with those, those types of things. Um, and so it wasn't a com 
communication wasn't huge in our family, especially on the difficult things. They were too, too tough to talk about. So we just got through them. And so I think, um, I think that's kind of maybe where my best thing probably would have been because I think even if I was who I was and somebody had come to tell me everything, I probably wouldn't have listened because I'm like, no, life is this and this, or this is the way it goes. And nothing about my pregnancy, nothing about my birth and nothing about afterwards has actually rolled out the way I imagined it would before. So I think I've learned to become a lot more able to go with the flow and, you know, I've had to do a lot of good mindset work. And I think emotional intelligence stuff is something that, you know, our kids need and obviously the world needs right now. And so Mm -hmm. that's a big overarching answer, I think, but I think that's the thing that I I would have loved to have. Mm -hmm. Jen, your, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, just by way of background, um, I had a really challenging, uh, postpartum period in terms of physical recovery. So I basically lost, uh, the ability to engage my abs or pelvic floor. (laughs) And, um, I'm laughing because it's so extreme. You know, you go from being one of the world's strongest women, uh, to struggling to hold your eight pound baby. Mm-hmm. And then not being able to do all the things that help you cope, like being outside, exercising, where I find my joy. And so you've stepped into this new identity as mother and you've lost so many pieces of yourself, including what you use to regulate, you know, your your mental health and well-being. So it was a pretty tough journey. And uh, my first son was really colicky, um, had some complications, was in the ICU. Um, so I just I just give that as I share that piece, because we all have different journeys. We all have different stories. We all have unique challenges. And I think the advice I can offer is to not gloss over pregnancy and postpartum period. And we're in a time where, you know, we fought for women's equality and uh, we can do these amazing things like um, make the choice of who we want to be as a mother, whether that's a working mom, what that looks like, what whether you want to be a stay-at-home mom, there's space for all of those things. Um, but we gloss it over like we're superhuman and that pregnancy isn't really happening and, you know, that we're just going to work to the last day and, and we're going to jump back into work. It doesn't always work that way and it probably shouldn't always work that way. And so whether that's, you know, getting the support you need through a midwife, I used a doula in my second childbirth. It was the most beautiful experience um, because I got to take control of the birth and tap into that wisdom and knowledge and let my body lead. Um, Whereas the first one, it was very medical. There was huge complications. I'm grateful we were in the hospital because we needed the ICU, but it would have been nicer to have a balance. Um, And then to just know once you're in postpartum, period. You don't have to accept, you know, not having abdominal strength. There are solutions. There are experts. You don't have to accept, you know, feeling depressed. These are all normal. They're not normal, but they're not out of the ordinary. And, and it's hard to find the resources, even for someone as privileged as myself, um, who had access into the medical community because of sport. Um, But there are solutions out there and, and it's not just about accepting them. It's about creating the space. Um, and, and giving yourself, um, that grace really every child is different and we, and we love to judge. And, and I found this even from friends and family, you know, they judge how well you're doing. Um, every child's different. Every child, 
I have two children. They're exact opposite, exact opposite births, exact opposite temperaments, you know, and I've done the same thing. So it, it, removing the the judgment, providing the grace and knowing that, you know, you do have to give the appropriate space to pregnancy and postpartum period. And you have to engage your, your family and a support network, whoever that may be. Hmm. And obviously, you know, we're all quite privileged on this podcast today and we didn't have to deal with, you know, unique pressures of, you know, uh, perhaps being a single working mom or, you know, the economic pressures, um, that's a whole different level of stress. And so it's not always that easy, but there, it is about engaging a network who can, who can support you, whether that's a friend, a family or whoever that may be. Mm. Talk about like, it's funny. Um, Jamie mentioned it and it's been mentioned a couple of times. Obviously you guys are all, we're all uh, great athletes in your time in different ways. Uh, Jamie competed in varsity athletics and the two of you were Olympians and, you know, you're kind of told in, in, in competitive athletics, you know, control the controllables and don't get so uh, stressed about the uncontrollables, so to speak, and, and go with those. But the thing that I noticed as a father, uh, it was my greatest remark to Jamie as, as we became parents was, you know, we were used to, and I know Helen mentioned this before, kind of, you know, being able to sort of rise to the occasion and do whatever it was you needed to do to succeed. You always have this sense that you can control the con- the controllables, but in a, when you have a child, there's no such thing as controlling the controllables. There is just, you go with the flow. So how much did that, you know, affect you, Helen, like when you had this little person and now that concept of control the controllables kind of went out the door and now it was kind of, okay, manage the situation <laughs> as it comes, so to speak. Yeah, it was, that was really hard. Um, I like, I think people also have tend like tendencies one way or the other. And I, for sure, am like, uh, need to be on top of all of this stuff. And like, exactly like you said, motherhood is this, like, you have to just really yeah, relinquish all control and know that you just kind of have to take each in the beginning. It's almost like hour by hour and day by day. And sometimes it's very hard. And I, I think, yeah, I struggled with that a lot. And, um, I'm not sure I ever got to a point where I accepted it. I just had a hard time. Like that's mm-hmm. just the honest answer is just very challenging. Mm-hmm. I never figured out how to let go mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jamie. Yeah. Um, well, I, it reminds me having a conversation. Um, you know, it's funny that, you know, we have a bunch of Olympians on here and, uh, we were over at Eric Gay's house and we were talking to Karen and Karen and Eric had four kids and, you know, I don't pretend to put anything on Karen, but Karen always looks like she's got it together or she, she can at least flow with things, you know, and I very much know that if she was listening to this, she would say that is totally not the case, but from the outside in, it looked like she had things together. And I remember talking to both of you and I were talking to her, Scotty, and we said, you know, how do you, how do you do it? Because Eric was gone for however many months of the year, competing in Europe, doing whatever. And she was just, I have no expectations. And it was like this massive light bulb that went into my brain, right? It goes back to that quote that expectations are the root of all heartache. So if you have an expectation as to how your day is going to unfold and what you're going to be able to get done, well, <laughs> let me tell you, 
you are going to have to review that expectation a million times a day. And so I think my challenge was to Helen's point. I don't think I ever figured that out. I think I just learned that I need to not have that control that I'm used to having and learning how to dance in the rain, so to speak. And so removing the shame, you know, Jen talked about it, the whole everything around the judgment and whatever, but removing the shame. And it's not even just an embarrassment. We take it on as shame. It's somehow something inherent in our identity that we're failing. Mm -hmm. So it's this shameful thing that we take on that we can't somehow rise to the occasion. We can't control our child. We can't get there on time. We can't look the way we want. And so I think it's just that it's, it's an acceptance less of the, assuming the controllables, but an acceptance more of you are able to dance in the rain. Mm-hmm. Nice. Jen, I know you, you know, you've just finished your MBA and I know there's, um, uh, you will correct me if I am wrong, but my interpretation was you were doing some work during your MBA. Cause I know you chatted with Jamie around this subject matter. And I know you're trying to do something um, business-wise after the fact. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Like what does this subject matter mean to you and why is it important to you, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think why it's um, important to me in part is a little bit, you know, of what the last question was. Like, you know, as an athlete, control the controllables is the way you live live life. And I think it didn't totally go out the window, but it shifted. So controlling the controllables is actually only my emotional regulation. <laughs> and that's how I look at it. Like, it is hard being a parent. It is still very hard at seven and nine with these kids. Um, and I don't think it ever stops. You know, you talk to any parent, there's challenges at every stage. And so for me, it's really about my own emotional regulation. How I show up matters. Um, I originally thought that that meant I had to give everything up to be a good mom. Um, this this and and I have made a lot of sacrifices like like all parents um and this last year doing my MBA was like it it was a huge gift to me from my family from my partner Dominic and the boys who moved to California but it also opened up a new way of being for me as a mother and that you know I can make the space for 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 the world I imagine and that's my working world that is separate from my family world. I mean, it's all, it's all intertwined um, because you have to do the dance as Jamie said, to make it work. Um, But for me, like the company we want to build is to support women through their health journey. Uh, We're starting with postpartum um, and well, maternal health and um, stress is a big driver of postpartum depression. It's one of the main drivers. Um, Stress is also a driver of preterm birth. And so we want to give mothers tools um, to, you know, manage and to be aware of what that might look like and tools for them to essentially self-regulate. And when I look back to the experience as a high-performance athlete, I would say our job actually was stress management. That's where we spent all our time. That's what you were managing to perform on demand, even the physical stress. I mean, we had a team, an incredible team, two of them on this call today, um, helping <laughs> with that physical stress management. Um, And so what we'll do is we'll take different inputs. So like wearable devices, cortisol levels, um, 
will create a stress resiliency score. So a woman can compare it only to herself and her baseline and how that changes over time and then provide physical um, and mental solutions and onboard to clinicians um, as needed. And I think that's just one of the biggest challenges I found, as I said, in such a privileged position in terms of having a medical community around me and I couldn't find the solutions. Um, I didn't, I didn't even know what postpartum depression really was. I'm sure I had it. Um, never had the discussion, never had that support even in it. Um, so yeah, trying to, to make customized, um, precision moving towards precision support, uh, for mothers when they need it, how they need it. Mm, beautiful. Well, we're all, uh, hopefully those listening or will be supportive of that venture that you uh, take on and we're supportive of it because I think it's an important thing for you guys for sure. Um, I want to sort of unpack, uh, and you guys can be as open or as closed as you want to be and what you're comfortable with, what, but your, your self-discovery of being in postpartum depression, like, cause I know from my experience with Jamie, like, I don't think Jamie really knew she was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she knew she was in it until after she recovered from it in some sense was, was that a similar experience for, for you, Jen, or for you, Helen, maybe Jen start and then I'll go Helen and come back to Jamie. But you know, I, I, I is this kind of like, how did you realize? And then how did you know you needed help or, or, or did you? Yeah, I mean, I had children very soon after retiring from sport, which is kind of a classic period of depression. Um, Also wasn't prepared for that because I was leaving on my own terms. I I didn't expect it. So I had a lot of things mixed up together. Um, As I said, I was never diagnosed with postpartum depression. I can remember after uh, my second child where my physical body was really a wreck, um, as I mentioned struggling to drive a car um, because I didn't have the abdominal strength, struggling to hold the child, obviously not being physically active. Um, And I just remember like the depths of my despair. And I just felt like that's where I realized that I wasn't the mother I wanted to be. And that I like had to figure this out if for not myself, my children. And I just, I can remember I was crying actually in my son's room. And I just remember that moment. Um, And that was kind of, I don't know how long I'd been in and out of depression for, but that was kind of the moment where I realized I had to do something about it and that this wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. And like the challenge is, yeah, no, I was just going to say the challenge is, is like we have this narrative around depression where um, in some cases, you know, it's very severe um, and it's obvious in other times you can be quite high functioning and have, and have serious depression. Mm. Um, And we, we, diagnose depression as either you have it or you don't but in reality the science shows it's a spectrum Mm -hmm. um, and you can mask it quite well and so that's where it gets really confusing and that's also as a mother you don't feel worthy of support I think sometimes when you're just below that range or that obvious range um, you think there's something wrong with you so um, it was very confusing and and it was a long road to recovery quick break here we'll be back with our guest in just a moment. Okay, I'm going to keep this one simple. I mean, if you're looking for equipment to fill your facility that's brand new and you want to deck it out with the best in the business, or you need somebody to help you decide what to put in your facility and organize it, structure it, or you just want to build a home gym or a home facility, or you need a specific piece of equipment to to serve a specific 
uh, purpose in your human performance system. Matrixfitness.com has an answer for you. And the people there are into making sure that you get what you need, that you are served, and that effectively your problem is solved. So it's easy. If you've got a problem or an issue or something you need to get, uh, then it comes to serving the human performance needs of your clients or yourself, head over to matrixfitness.com today and check out what they have. You won't be disappointed. If you're looking for a roadmap of how to bring the skills, techniques, approaches, concepts of therapeutic practice together with the methodological systems, principles, and exercise strategies of performance practice, Neuroreconditioning is the way to go. Neuroreconditioning brings together all of these things under the umbrella of the governing system of the body, the neurological system, and make sure you understand where to tactically and technically bring all of those systems and practices together in the most powerful way. Reconditioning is the only system we know of that brings all of these things together under a neurological uh, profile, and we believe that this is the next wave in human performance. So if you want to up your game and be the best in the business at what you do and really take care of your clients to the best of your ability, then get involved in the reconditioninghq.com revolution today. Head over to reconditioninghq.com. Check out the courses that we're delivering. You can do R1 Foundations and R2 Designs all online. There are live uh, lab sessions that we're building uh, on a regular basis as well. There really is an opportunity for any way you want to learn out there. Uh, and you can learn at your pace uh, when it's convenient to you and how you would like. So check out our courses today, reconditioninghq.com, and change the way you practice in a really powerful way. Hey, if you're liking the podcast, head over to lymlab.com. You can get all the latest episodes there. Check out what we've been doing and what we've been up to. If you want to get a Leave Your Mark cap, that's the place to go. Uh, They are beautiful, and you can get one in black or you can get one in gray, and there will be more coming in the future. You can also check out what we're doing with our uh, LYM Life Lab. There are two free DLs there that you can take home and check out to maybe help you recenter yourself and focus on how you want to manage change. And you can also become uh, a member of our mailing list and receive weekly uh, reminders of the next podcast that's out. So do us a favor, check it out, take some time to get onto your latest streaming service and rate and share the podcast. Take care. We're back. Enjoy the podcast. So I think perhaps like, so my eldest is five. And when we became parents with her for the first time, I for sure had some postpartum depression. I had family members say like, hey, you should probably go talk to somebody. And I was like, it was the year of the Sochi Olympics. Jesse was competing. I was doing the broadcasting. I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm coping fine. Like, obviously you're not coping fine, but um so I just kind of bulldozed through it and got through it. And then, you know, time passes and, you know, my daughter was like a year plus and you're like, oh, I feel really good or better. 
So that means I obviously was not good before. That was my first experience. And it's very common that postpartum anxiety and depression gets worse with subsequent pregnancies. And so sure enough, we have Rowan uh, two years later, and it is substantially worse this time. And I didn't obviously learn anything the first time around. I'm laughing. It's actually not funny at all. Like it it was... um, I was in a situation, um, he was probably about four months old and I would say it peaked at around six months post delivery. Um, I wasn't even anything remotely close to the person I usually am. I had family trying to intervene and, um, like I was on, I, it was bad enough. I was on suicide watch. Like I had very severe suicide ideation and so much of it stemmed from Jamie said the word shame. And I think that's like, really sums it up. So for me, it stemmed from this feeling like I couldn't be a mom. I couldn't mom properly, adequately. How could I be this like high functioning, successful in my own brain, individual. And I can't do the one thing that as women, we were designed to do. Like, I feel like I can't look after these kids and enjoy it and be joyful and, and hold it all together and be happy about it. I felt like I, I hated myself. I hated being a mom and I had so much shame around that. And I, you put on a brave face, nobody outside of my like very close friends and family knew how bad it was. Cause you go about your business and you smile and you've got these healthy, beautiful kids. And, and then you add on to this whole, like, I'm so lucky I have amazing life circumstances and a wonderful family to support me. And financially we're in a place where we have resources like Jen said, and how can I feel this terrible? I'm such a horrible human add on to the shame dump, like keep dumping on, keep adding. And, um, so there'd be an instance that occurred in a day where like some small thing happened and I completely snapped, like I almost kicked my back door down one time. My kids were crying and, And I was like, I can't, they deserve better than this. I shouldn't be here. And then suicidal ideation comes and like Jesse would come home from work and wonder if I was even going to be there. Like it was so bad. And my sister slipped me a piece of paper with a phone number on it one day. And she said, when you're ready, you need to call. I didn't even know who's on the other end of the line. And if you would have told me like, you look it up and find the resources, I didn't even know what to do with myself. I wasn't even mentally and in a place where I could figure out that it had got that bad. I was just a shell of a human. And I was driving on a highway in Calgary um, one day and just tears streaming down my face. I can't even remember where I was going. I think I almost got into a car accident. I pulled over into a parking lot and I pulled the number out of my purse and I just called in the parking lot. And I spoke to this like really great counselor from this free resource that's available here in Calgary called Families Matters. And they were like, they ask, they slowly lead into it. I was like hysterically sobbing and saying the words like, I want, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, it's so hard to say those words when you have this great life. And um, they were like, okay, well, we're going to get somebody to reach out to you in the next 24 hours. And like, they're very, they, you know, there's all these pathways that they send you on and they start this process. And then there's counselors and psychologists and family doctors prescribing, you know, medication and medication helped a lot. And there was a lot of shame with that too. Is this impacting my breast milk? And now I'm, I'm taking all these drugs and I'm ruining my baby and I'm such a 
sorry, Scotty, shitty mom. And, you know, it's just, it was so hard. I just felt like such a failure at the one thing that matters like so much in life. It was, it was really hard. So, uh, and the doctors say things like, if you're a diabetic, do you feel guilty for having to take insulin? You know, like postpartum anxiety and depression, a lot of it's just hormone related. It's, and it's completely at random, like how it affects people and whatever. Um, but actually it was bad enough that the, the something. Yeah. yeah. So I remember Helen <laughs> jumping on an airplane and getting to Montreal right after both my babies were born. And it was the most beautiful gift to me. And also a friend that represented the person I was before being a mother and walked that bridge with me into motherhood. And I remember walking back from the grocery store, pushing my one week old baby. And I was like, I don't feel what I thought I would feel. Like, I don't feel that close yet. I don't feel I didn't have the word bond, but Helen's like, I don't think that's the way it goes, Jen. (laughs) She's like, I think it just takes time. Like this is normal. And she literally like shifted my whole perspective and gave me that grace. I couldn't give myself. And she had the perspective. And then we hear what her internal dialogue was for herself, even though she had that wisdom and just shows like, Yes, this is hormonal, but this is greater than just being able to have a mindset and that, that clarity. So I just say it because it was a huge gift to me. Um, and it also mirrors that someone with that wisdom, how hard it is when you're in the depths of postpartum depression. Yeah. You just don't have a way to process it yourself. And I have the, one of the things they get you to do is to journal and you have to answer these five questions, like list um, one of your favorite memories, uh, a time when you felt joyful and on bad days, I couldn't think like I, the things I've done in my life, I've so lucky. I have all of these wonderful, I couldn't think of a single good memory. What? And I, in the end, it's like, these scribbles, like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with my brain? You know? And like, again, more hatred, self-hatred, more anger, more shame. So yeah. So medication, lots of counseling, incredible support from my family, super lucky. And, um, probably like I've been off all the medication for a while. Now my son's two and a half. And, um, probably when he was about one and a half, I, I was like, okay, what, what just happened? You know, like, what was that? Um, and they actually said, you, you know, we recommend you not have any more kids because it's going to probably be worse. And I was like, don't worry, we're done anyways. But, um, yeah, like, holy smokes, it was yeah, really hard. And, and yeah, it's so easy to give other people advice, you know? And I, I think like having people who know you and can help provide, make that, make the phone call for somebody, sit down next to them, call and hand them the phone. You know, like there's often times where like you actually need intervention um, because you just aren't capable of helping yourself. And yeah, Jen and, and her family drove out to Canmore, I think somewhere around that eight month marker. And it was a pretty long haul for you guys. And I think we spent just a weekend together. You drove all the way from Vancouver and it was such a relief just to be around somebody who knows you and knows what the experience is like and to just be there to like, yeah. I mean, yeah. The network of support is essential. I think through postpartum and having the courage to actually talk about how bad you're feeling. is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Jamie, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think <clears throat> I have a ton to add. <clears throat> Jen and Helen have, you know, obviously explained a lot of the kind of the emotions and the 
situations, you know, for me, it was really just, I was the moody girl. I'm a Scorpio. Sorry. Same. Same. Right. I'm expected to be like super intense and everything highs and lows. And so, but, but what I wasn't realizing was my lows were lasting five weeks and not just a couple days anymore. And so when you kind of start coming out of that, that's, that's the only time I was having perspective or the ability to be able to reflect on the ch- the difference between me being moody before and this, whatever this was. Um, I, you know, I, I very much relied on Scotty for sure. Um, we said, we, we don't understand how people can have kids and be able to manage themselves. You know, like, like Jen was saying, it's, it's really us trying to learn to manage ourselves in a way. And that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. I'm just saying that that's, that's what it's about, right? Is your response and stuff. And so I very much was able to lean on Scotty for that and talk a lot, a, a lot, of, a lot through my feelings. I remember one time trying to put Gretchen to sleep. She must've been about, I don't know, I'm going to say five weeks old or something. And I went in and she just would not go to sleep after I was breastfeeding her at three in the morning. And now it was like five in the morning. I hadn't been to bed. I hadn't been sleeping. And I literally took her into the other bedroom and I handed her to Scotty and I said, I'm done. And I just walked out of the house. I went and sat in the park bench for two hours and I was just like, I'm not coming back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think it's, it's, you know, back to your point, it's like, that, it's that, that shame. Like, why can't I figure this out? And if you don't have a place to be able to vent that in a, in a safe way, in a, in a, in a comfortable way. And, and, you know, without judgment or even maybe even commentary, just for somebody mm-hmm. to be there, then, um, it, I can't imagine how hard that is for people, or I know how hard that is for people. Right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll kind of wrap this a little bit in some sense, because, um, you know, I want to kind of also, uh, bring in the listeners who are fathers or partners to mom, new moms and stuff like what's, <laughs> What did your partners do right, and what what were they challenged by, and and how would you recommend your partner, you know, support you in this kind of challenge? Like, is it, you know, be there and just, or or, or are there other suggestions you have for them, so to speak? And maybe I'll come back to Jen and through Ellen and back to Jamie. Yeah, well, um, one thing that's really not spoken about is that fathers can experience depression as well. Um, and so they have their own journey and, um, that, that often doesn't get, get spoken about. And, and our first child was so challenging. I think Dom probably had some depression of his own. Um, what a partner can do. I mean, I think the most important thing for any family is to have an open conversation and to talk about it and to act as a team. And what that looks like for each family is going to be very different based on, their obligations, um, and how they function, um, as a family. In, uh, my case, uh, Dom was really helpful through the nights when we couldn't get, uh, Miko, t- uh, our first child, Danik, to sleep after being really colicky. Um, he created the space for me to get a bit more sleep, um, in those moments after breastfeeding and then just helping in the background, you know, the food prep, <laughs> doing everything so mom doesn't have to take care of feeding herself. So looking after mom really in those early days and weeks, but that's not possible for every family. So I think it's really just having that conversation. If it's not possible for the partner, figuring out if there's family or friends that can fill um, part of that role as well. 
Mm-hmm. Helen, did you want to provide uh, an insight there? I, I, I mean, I think the three of us are really fortunate to have great partners and uh, in our lives, and it's made an incredible difference. I think to your point, Scotty, and I feel like Jesse would be comfortable with me sharing this. I think he held it together for our family for so long that it actually hit him recently. Um, he just crashed. Like he had an, he's a year or a bit more into like a new career. And I started a new career and he, you know, he works so hard. And just like Jenny, he, he's, we found our own balance of like when he could, uh, you know, he'd stay up for a bit in the night and I'd sleep and then I'd be up in the middle of the night and he'd get up at like 4am and take over. So I could, you know, you find what works as best you can and you just all accept the fact you're going to be pretty tired, but you try to look after each other and, and try different methods that work for your situation and your family if you can. And like Jen said, um, if it's not a partner, hopefully it's a friend or somebody else that maybe can give a hand, but, um, and even through all the postpartum stuff, I think, having the courage to like look out for somebody when they're unable to do it themselves and to take steps if you feel like it needs to be done. Cause the longer you wait, the harder it is, you know? And, um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a few components to it. I think like during the hard parts, you know, like the, the really early stage, the first sort of year, it's really challenging and important to have, have somebody, um, to be there, but also like you have to look after each other. And I couldn't even look after myself, like let alone the kids. And so, I mean, we try to give that back when we are able. And I think it's just being really forgiving of each other as best you can and to try understand. And Jesse had to do learn a lot about what was going on with me and how to be very gentle emotionally. Like he's a pretty, you know, like came from football. It's like, you you know, tough, tough guy. And you've got this person who's like, just like any small thing is just going to shatter. And so it it was a lot for him. And I think, you know, it hit him later. And I think for men, it's, or for partners that maybe weren't the, the, the one actually delivering the baby, you know, I mean, it's okay. Like that could happen to you later. And you also need to be able to ask for help and support when you need it as well. It's important to recognize that for sure. Mm -hmm. Jamie, your last thoughts on that? Well, you know, I certainly appreciated the fact that you really kind of knew who I was. And so, you know, you'd kick me out of the house and say, I'll take Gretchen and get out of here. I don't want to see you for whatever time you, you'd have people show up at my door and say, look, you're going out for dinner you know, pump some milk, semi, you know, or go up, go back to, out to volleyball. So that was, that was great back to Jen's point because my coping mechanism was seeing people. My coping mechanism was activity, you know? And so when you're at a period of time and you have 20 minutes and so you can either eat or shower or sleep or clean or whatever while that baby's going to sleep for 20 minutes, it, it becomes challenging. So when I would get a meal in bed because you were doing that, it was wonderful. And so, I mean, I think back to, back to Helen's point, it's also important that it's not just be the partner to like you to me, but I was trying also to be very cognizant that I had to support you and in, in these things as well and really, really be 
um, talkative and very grateful about all of those things you were trying to do and when you did make gestures and when you did need time and, you know, I even have to do things. Hmm. So it's, 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 it's like everything. It's about having a great conversation, I think. Hmm. And whoever that person or people can be around in your community, it's about keeping that open conversation because if it's not open, that's when things go sideways because assumptions and shame and all these other things. Come mm-hmm. Scotty, can I just add something about that yeah, too? Please do. Like, there's yeah. a piece about this with like employers as well. And this has to do with like even single, single parents <clears throat> or, you know, there's this piece around just like general societal support of this circumstance. And like, I mean, we're lucky in Canada, we have pretty good Mm. situation, but it's not, Mm -hmm. it's still not where it needs to be in a lot of cases. And like, if you consider this postpartum piece of it as well, I mean, for some women, um, this pressure to get back to work with like the financial burdens or whatever is really hard. And I think having some supportive people, even outside of this family and friends network, even from a standpoint of like employers and employment is, is going to be something that like, we're going to have to like really do better on just generally, you know, globally probably, but like here in Canada, for sure. I had some really great experiences. Um, like CBC sports, for example, allowed me to take my nine month old to Korea. They put me in special housing and gave my, my mom who came with me and my daughter accreditation so that I could do this broadcasting gig and be a mom. And like the, the, you know, the oceans they had to move to make that happen. I I don't even fully know, but I will forever be grateful that I still had that opportunity to be there and to do it. And, and then subsequently with the fire department here in Calgary, I actually failed a portion of my application because I was suffering from postpartum depression and anxiety. And I like with a lot of embarrassment, wrote a letter to the fire chief and had to request special approval to reopen my file. And they did it they reopened my file and allowed me to like get back into the process and go through it again. And I wound up being successful um, a few months later when I was in a better position to keep continue through the application process, they could have very easily said no. And I could have also given up. And I think like another, that's another example of like some understanding around this thing that we're only just starting to understand and talk about properly. So I think it's really important. Yeah. that's. uh, Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add to just because I think, you know, if we're going to encapsulate this all, because we had um, some very good friends of ours who, because when we talk about this whole postpartum thing, it's also ending up with a child. And we've had so many women that have not had that opportunity. And so I can just imagine I've had a couple friends who have lost their, you know, their, their babies significantly into their pregnancies. And so then you're either embarrassed or shocked or private about that happening. And then now you're dealing with all of the hormones and everything that come along with post-pregnancy. And that's just incredible. Um, And it was interesting because I was talking to one of my friends about her experience with this. And she goes, "I, I don't know how to answer the question. Oh, are you going to have children someday? Or when are you going to have kids? And it was just like, she was, she was like, this was not something that I ever thought was an awful question. It was something that was me being curious and trying to get to know you. But you can just imagine how many people out there don't say that they, they've had a miscarriage and then they've had all of these horrible, you know, potential postpartum and depression and experiences. And then the cultural norm is to 
inquire about kids. And, you know, so I think there's, I just wanted to put that out there that I think that's something that people don't necessarily think about in their language when they are talking to people and is, is something that we could do as a culture to help people in that scenario to maybe not have that as part of our vernacular when we're speaking to them. Well, while we were talking, I guess uh, Jen's nephew got drafted, so she's got a big smile on her face back and forth, but she, her video keeps freezing. Are you, you there, Jen? Woo-hoo! Can you talk, or are you uh, <laughs> fro- frozen completely? No, I'm here, but I'm in Whistler. <laughs> I don't have great internet either. I'm just a mess today. I'm sorry for the disruption. <laughs> Didn't we say lo- being a mother and all these roles are going to the flow? So thank you, everyone, for giving me this <laughs> that's so Thank cool you. yeah you'll have to let us know who drafted them that's very cool yeah um i want to sort of bring this to a close with you know your final thoughts first i want to just say thank you to all three of you you're all real champions in my heart in different ways and um you know the fact that you were willing to come and talk about something that's you know have been a challenge in your life i think it opens up um the discussion for other people who might listen or at least meet allows people to feel like they're not alone in all of this so um just want to leave everybody with your own final words on the topic like what what would you like to leave the listener with from your perspective and maybe i'll go to jen first in case she has to leap up and run to uh, to a phone call or something at some point here Mm. it's it's hard i mean i think it's what i said earlier give yourself grace you know uh find find support whatever that may be wherever um you can um and yeah, remove the judgment. It's a journey and it's yours to shape. Um, you get to decide what motherhood looks for you, look like, looks like for you. There's highs, there's lows. Know that's going to be part of the journey. Um, and when you're in those lows, know it's, there's others that have been through it and gotten through it. Bells. Bells. It's a hard thing to answer, but I think because everybody's so unique, you know, everyone's like journey and experience is so unique. One thing I think I learned from being a mother is how to be better supportive to families, new families around me. I think that's something we can all do. I think when you understand what that means, like dropping off some food or offering to babysit for a night or whatever it takes, like, I think there's something about that too. Like not just new parents, but like if you're a friend or you don't plan on having kids and you have friends that are going through this, there's ways to just offer like the most subtle, kind, gentle support that you can't even understand how appreciated it is. Um, And I'd say even like, okay, my kids are five and two now and I still have days where I feel shame and failure Um, all these years later. I think we're so hard on ourselves as, as mothers and as parents and, um, the way the world is now with, uh, you know, social media and, and these ex- underlying expectations and all of these women now trying to take on these big careers and doing NBAs, while, you know, doing all of these amazing things. Um, we're stretching ourselves so thin, you know, in a lot of ways and then trying to be this idea of perfect. And um, I always joke, like, I feel like somewhere deep down, I'm trying to win like an Olympic medal in parenting and there's no there's no finish line on that. And there's no way to be the best. And like, I think, um, yeah, finding a way to like, I think Jen said it really well, being kind with yourself. And, and if you're a partner or a friend of somebody going through it, 
reminding them that they're doing a great job and to be gentle with themselves because sometimes they're not able to bring those thoughts mm. into their own, you know, well-being themselves. Mm. Nice. Jamie? Yeah, I think I would just say it's going to be messy. And it's going to be whatever mess it's going to be. And I came across a quote once recently that had given me a lot of freedom. And it said, I give myself permission to suck. And it's given (laughs) me a lot of freedom. And I was just like, that's amazing, right? And I think if we can all give ourselves permission to suck a little bit, then we can just be human Hmm. and accept that being human is that. And so um, it doesn't mean it's easy. Hmm. That's that, right? Well, you guys, your honesty has been phenomenal and really important. I think it's an important session that we did today for people who will listen in the future. And I really appreciate your time. I know you guys are all busy people and and moms that you're trying to juggle lots of different things. And uh, I appreciate that. I will just leave my thoughts for everybody that I think off the back of, I think it was Jen that said, but really, you know, there's no concept of perfection in, in motherhood or fatherhood there. You'll, you'll never really arrive at that. So stop trying to make it happen. You know, it's just be who you are and be the best version of yourself as, as much as you can and, and bring yourself to the party. And like Jamie said, dance in the rain a little bit. So you guys are awesome. Love you all. And uh, you, uh, and congrats to Jen's uh, nephew again. And, uh, and, and you guys are all doing amazing things and um, always there for you if, uh, if you need me. So, and I hope you all know that. And thanks for coming today and giving me your time. Thanks, buddy. Love you guys. <laughs> for this conversation, guys. Yeah. Bye. Thank Have you. a good day. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.